You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. This morning I want to continue where I left off last week. Last week I spoke on growing in prayer in our series, which is called A Season of Growth. And uh, I laid some foundations for prayer, really. We looked at the life of Nehemiah, who was a man who was the cupbearer to the king of Persia. He had quite a good job, quite an easy job, I could imagine. And uh, he gets news from his brother that his home city is in great danger, that the walls of Jerusalem have been uh, they were, they were crumbling, that the gates had been um, burnt, and that basically his people were in great trouble, great danger of being overrun and captured once again. And Nehemiah drops to his knees, and he, for days, he mourns this news, he fasts, and he prays, and he calls out to God that God might give him favor before the king, that he might be able to go to the king and be released from his duties to go and lead God's people in Jerusalem. And that's what he does. It's a great story. If you haven't read the book of Nehemiah, you can read it this afternoon. It will take you about 15 minutes, and you can see what... God did through this man, Nehemiah, who was a man of prayer, who was a man who gave himself to calling out to God, and he was a man who had a vision of what God's people could be, and through prayer and through leading God's people, they saw the walls restored, even though there was much opposition to it. And so today, having looked at the foundations of prayer that Nehemiah had last week, the foundations of knowing who God is, knowing of God's might, knowing of God's mercy, knowing God's faithfulness to keep his promises, and knowing that he was one of God's people and have confidence to come before God in prayer, having looked at those foundations and having seen that actually we, as Christians, many of us here, having placed our faith in Jesus, we have even greater reason for confidence than Nehemiah to come before God in prayer. Because as I shared last week, we have been adopted by God. We've been united with Christ, adopted by God as his sons and daughters, and we have great reason for confidence before God in prayer. So I looked at those foundations last week, and today we're going to look a little deeper at Nehemiah's prayer life, because he was a man who really was a man of prayer. He he was a man who prayed all kinds of different prayers. And in Ephesians chapter 6, the apostle Paul, he writes this, pray in the spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. This little passage comes at the end of a, an amazing letter from Paul, where he's, he's shared incredible truths of what God has done for us, incredible truths of what Jesus' work on the cross has uh, achieved for us. And then in response to those amazing truths, he exhorts the church in Ephesus to live lives worthy of the, that truth, live lives worthy of Jesus to live in their marriages, as children with their parents, in workplaces, to live lives, live lives of unity in the church. And then in chapter 6, it's like he's saying this, if you're going to live for Jesus in response to all he's done for you, if you're going to to live for him, if you're going to live to honor him, then you will encounter opposition because we are in a great battle. Because we are, we are in a mighty battle that has been raging for a long, long time. And he says to them, you've got to put on the armor of God. 
You've got to expect a fight. You've got to, through prayer and getting into God's word, you've got to apply these truths to your life. You've got to see your heart protected by the breastplate of righteousness. Your, your head, your mind protected by the helmet of salvation. He, he, he says to them, you've got to get protected. You've got to prepare for a fight. And then he says, now pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. Pray in the spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers. He sees prayer as vital to this battle that we're in, as as a vital tool in the battle that we find ourselves in. He sees something of the the, the spiritual realm that we don't really grasp, particularly in, in a Western mindset. We don't really take much notice of what might be going on in the the spiritual realm, in the heavenly realms, the Apostle Paul would call it. He says we have an enemy, and our enemy isn't people who disagree with us. Our enemy isn't people who believe different things to us. Our enemy isn't people who have different lifestyles to us. No, our enemy is the devil and his armies, and they are hell-bent, to use that phrase appropriately, on destroying us. They are determined to destroy our confidence and our Uh, our desire to see the kingdom of God advance. And so we must pray for our own protection, we must pray, but also for the advance of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. We must must pray. We must call out to God. And the Apostle Paul would again and again, as we're going to see later on, he would call upon the churches that he was serving to pray for him. You've got to pray for me, he would say. Because he, he knew that there was a correspondence between the prayers of many people praying and the success of the gospel where he preached it. He knew that there was something that happened in the, in the heavenly realms when we pray. He knew the importance of prayer. And I, I wonder, do you know the power of prayer? Have you, come to, have you come to appreciate the power of prayer? Do you, do you understand that there's power when we pray? Have you grasped that for yourself? If you, if you haven't come to realize that, then when we get together at the end of July, you're not, you're not really going to be inclined to come and, and pray, unless you're persuaded that there is great prayer, a great power when we pray. So Nehemiah was, was a man who really, he demonstrated this all kinds of prayers. He was a man, as we're going to see, who prayed fervently. He prayed in a focused way. He was a man who, who used bullet prayers, as I call them, just quick prayers to God. And he was a man who brought the people together to pray. There was all kinds of prayers that he prayed. He was a man of prayer. And we're going to see a little more from God's word about these kinds of prayers. So firstly, we see fervent prayer. So Nehemiah, he gets hold of this news about Jerusalem being in ruins. And in verse 4 of chapter 1, he says this, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He set aside time to pray. He He got before God in the secret place to pray. He came to a a lonely place to pray. He he spent the time calling out to God. Friends, we have to learn to isolate ourselves and just get before God on our own. We have to learn to lay hold of God in, in a fervent, in fervent focused prayer. Jesus modeled this. He often withdrew to lonely places to pray. That's what we read in the book of Luke. He would often withdraw to lonely places to be with his father in prayer. In Luke chapter 6, we see it's the day before he 
is about to choose the 12 disciples that would follow him around for three years. He goes into the middle of nowhere and he prays all night. He's, he's so uh, adamant he needs to get before God on this decision that he, he prays fervently, sets aside time to pray. You know, it's not always evil things that keep us from praying. Sometimes it's good things that keep us from praying. Sometimes it's good things that keep us from having this time of prolonged prayer before God. But we actually have to come to see that there's something better than the good things that might keep us praying. There's actually a reward as we come before God and lay hold of him in prayer that is far better than the good things that we could have been doing. Think of the good things Jesus could have been doing instead of praying. Wherever he went, people wanted to be healed by him. Wherever he went, people wanted his wisdom. Wherever he went, people wanted to be blessed by him. And yet he would withdraw often to go and be with his father in secret. I love this quote from William Wilberforce. He was an amazing social reformer, a politician, crucial in the abolition of slavery. He said this, I must secure more time for private devotions. I have been living far too public for me. The shortening of private devotion starves the soul. It grows lean and faint. I have been keeping too late hours. This, this guy was, he had given himself to something really amazing. The abolition of slavery. But he knew that he had been living far too public. That actually there was times where he needed to just get before God and be in secret. And for some of you, that's, that's what you need to hear today. You've been living far too public. Sometimes we, we just can't bear being on our own. We can't bear our own company. And we have to be in constant communication with people, whether on social media or WhatsApp or just having people in our home all of the time. We actually need to find those places where we just go and be before God in secret. Some of you, it might be the opposite way around. You need to come out of hiding a little bit more. But listen... Jesus modeled this. He knew if it was necessary for Jesus to do all that he did and to be all that he was, if it was necessary for him to be with his father in secret, then it's really necessary for us, right? So Nehemiah, he modeled this fervent prayer. He, 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 he set time aside. If you, if you don't plan to pray, then you're not likely going to pray. If you don't plan to set some time aside to get before God, then you're not going to do it. We see here something of the persistence in prayer that is required sometimes. Nehemiah, for days, he got before God and he called out to God for days. And Jesus told stories to his disciples to teach them that they were to pray and not give up. He told them a story in Luke chapter 18 of a woman who was owed money by someone and basically she was adamant she was going to get that money back. She was a poor widow. She needed that money. And she goes to the judge of the city who's not just. He's not a good guy. And she knocks on his door day after day after day to get what is rightfully hers. And Jesus taught them this parable so that they would pray and not give up. He said this, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them them speedily. 
So Jesus is saying, this judge in the story who basically relents after a while, he says this. I know that the, the unjust judge in the story says, I don't fear God or respect men, but because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual knocking. The judge is unjust in this story, and yet he, 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 he kind of caves in the end. And Jesus is saying, your, your father is just. But he, sometimes he needs you to come to him and knock on his door and persist in prayer. Sometimes he wants to do something in you before he gives you the answer to prayer that you're looking for. Sometimes he wants to work in you. Sometimes he wants to change your heart in some ways as you persist in prayer. I don't, know, I don't remember which theologian it was who said it. I should have checked in between the services. Tim will know. But some theologian says this, that in prayer, often we're like naughty schoolboys who play knock and run. We knock on someone's door and then we run away before they've answered. Sometimes in prayer we pray and actually God's he's calling us to persist in prayer, to keep knocking, to keep coming to him. What are you persisting in prayer for? What are you going after God for? What are you calling out to him for persistently? The book of James says that Elijah was a man just like us. And there's an amazing story where Elijah prays for rain when there's been drought and famine in the land and he prays for rain seven times, probably over the course of several days and he keeps sending his friend out to go and check, is it raining yet? And it's not raining yet and he prays again. He gives himself to persistently praying and then the rain came. He was a man just like us. I love the King James Version that says that he was a man subject to like passions. That's quite an old way of saying that basically he, was, he had a temptation to kind of get discouraged. He was a man who could get distracted. He was a man who could think, well, there's no point in continuing to pray here, just like us. And yet he persisted in prayer and then God gave the rain. We sometimes need to persist in prayer, friends. Sometimes that's what God will have us do. That was the story actually of our amazing gift in this new building that we're moving into, that we persisted in prayer, that we came to God over an 18-month period, month after month, we gathered together, we prayed, God, give us a great building, persisted in prayer. Some of you have got stories of just going after God persistently, and he's come through for you. Sometimes we need to fast. We see that here in chapter 1, that Nehemiah fasted for a time. Fasting isn't a hunger strike. It's not saying, right, God, I'm, I'm, I'm not going you know, to eat until you bless me. No, it's not like that. But it's, it's, a, it's a way in which we can come to God with real intention and focus. We say all these other things I'm laying aside and I'm, I'm coming after you, God. I'm going to pour my heart out to you with real vigor and intention. And actually, in this week of prayer that we're going to have, there's going to be some days where we're going to be fasting. You, you, it's your call if you want to do it. But we're going to be fasting our lunchtime. We're going to fast our lunch and just pray for an hour. Maybe you, that might be the first time you step out in this way and say, I'm going to do that. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try and, uh, and go without lunch for a day and I'm going to go after God in prayer. We see here that Nehemiah is specific in his prayer. He asks God. He says, give me favor before the king so that I can go to my city and rebuild it. He, he, he asks something specific of God. And sometimes we pray, God, would you bless me? Would you help me? And those are good prayers to pray. But we, 
We don't really know whether he's answered them or not. But actually, when we, when we ask him specifically, when we, when we bring things before him that we know we need from him, we will know whether he has answered them or not. Sometimes we need to be nuanced and specific in our prayers. Mark Batterson, in his great book, The Circle Maker, he says this, nuanced prayers give God an opportunity to reveal more shades of his sovereignty. Basically, that means it gives God the opportunity to show off how great he is. If our prayers aren't specific, God gets robbed of the glory he deserves because we second guess whether or not he answered them. Are you sometimes specific in your prayer requests? Do you bring God something specific? Do you lay before him some things that you just know, God, I will know if you've answered this or not. I will know if you've answered this or not. Gives God the chance to receive even more glory. When we, re- when we bring to him some things that we, we know, God, I'm bringing this to you really specifically. And it takes courage to pray that. It takes courage to pray specific things, even in, in a prayer meeting. So we're going to come on to together prayer in a moment, and looking at when we gather together. But sometimes God will just lay something on our hearts, and we think, I don't know why I'm praying for that. I found myself over the years praying things, and I, I'm asking God for something really specific, like a, you know, an amount of money to come in in a particular way, or, uh, or whatever it might be. And I think, why am I praying this? I'm praying for a particular amount of guests on an Alpha course. Why am I praying for that? Sometimes God will help us to pray specifically and we'll lay things before him and we will know whether or not he's answered them. Jesus said, we're to ask our Father. We're to ask him. All of his teaching on prayer can be summarized with this word, ask. Are you asking some things of God? Are you asking some things of him? Are you coming to him and saying, God, I need you to come through in this way? I love the stories of George Muller, who uh, ran orphanages in this country in the 1800s. And he was a man who really knew some things about prayer. And it said that he journaled all of his prayers and that in the course of his lifetime, he saw 50,000 answers to specific prayers. 30,000 of which were answered on that same day. He, he really asked, I mean, we're talking really specific stuff. Running orphanages, didn't have enough money to feed these children. He'd pray that there would be milk for the kids. And then, not long after, a milk cart would break down outside the orphanage. And suddenly the kids have all got enough milk. This kind of, in a good way, an audaciousness before God. Asking him. Asking him and saying, God, I need you in this area. I need... And we'll know that God's answered it and it will bring him the glory. So we see Nehemiah going after God in fervent prayer. We see these bullet prayers as well. We see this in, 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 in chapter 2 and verse 4. We see it in eight different places in Nehemiah. He loves these kind of one-liners straight up to God. In verse 4 of chapter 2, he says, The king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, let me go back to Judah. Let me go back to my city. So he's in the conversation with the king. It's a pretty big deal. And he's praying to God at the same time. He's shooting up a bullet prayer. He's saying, God, what's he saying? He's saying, God, will you give me favor here? Will you help me? Give me the words. Give me the wisdom I need. And we see it again and again and again in this story as as God's people face opposition there's opposition to Nehemiah. When people get the wrong idea about him, they think he's going to try and proclaim himself as king over the nation. 
comes across opposition again and again, and he says, Lord, strengthen me. Just in the midst of a conversation, Lord, help me. So powerful that we, we can pray continuously in this way. But listen, those bullet prayers, they've got to flow from the secret place prayer. They've got to flow from the place of, of being before God and, and laying a hold of him. If all of the prayers we pray are simply bullet prayers when we need a car parking space, or when we need, you know, we need to find a pound for the, the trolley at Aldi, if, if those are the prayers that we pray, then it's tragic, really, because we've been saved for much more. We've been saved for a relationship with him, to enjoy him as our father. And the power of our bullet prayers really flows from that place of secret place prayer with God. If you want a great resource on prayer, there's a book called The Weapon of Prayer by E.M. Bounds. It's quite an old book. And he writes this, Our short prayers owe their point and efficiency to the long ones that have preceded them. The short prevailing prayer cannot be prayed by the one who has not prevailed with God in a mightier struggle of long continuance. There's a correlation between getting a hold of God in the secret place, prevailing in fervent prayer, and then the power that comes from your bullet prayers. And we see that in Nehemiah's life. He was a man who was serious about getting before God, and yet he, he knew then, because he was before God in the secret place, that he, even when he's in a conversation with a king, a powerful king, he could just pray, God, help me right now, please. So it's something that flows from it. We don't have to, we don't have to live in anxiety, friends. Some of you, you think it's inevitable that you have to deal with anxiety for the rest of your life. Just conscious, just, you're just conscious of the fact that there's always something bubbling on under the surface of your heart. Listen, through prayer, through just allowing your anxious thoughts to lead you to prayer, you can, you can actually find yourself praying continuously. I love this from Paul Miller, who says, anxiety creates openings for prayer. Do you, deal, do you deal with anxiety? Well, it creates an opening for prayer. Instead of fighting anxiety, instead of trying to smother it, instead of trying to manage it with pleasurable things, we can actually turn our anxiety toward God. And when we do that, we will find that we've slipped into continuous praying. When I first read that a couple of years ago, it was a bit of a game changer for me. And I find myself almost on a daily basis checking my heart and saying, okay, there's some anxiety there. And I don't really know what the, the source of it is. But I'm just going to spend a moment just to work out exactly what I'm worried about. It might be something that's coming up that day. It might be something that someone said to me. It might be so, and I'm just going to say, right, okay, I'm going to deal with this right now in prayer. Allow those anxious thoughts to become a gateway to praying. Say, no, I'm going to bring this before God. I'm not going to let this fester in my heart. I'm not going to try and smother it with some pleasure. I'm going to bring it to God. And you'll find that actually you will be praying continuously or just walking with God, enjoying him as you go throughout your day. So we see fervent prayer, we see these bullet prayers, and we see together prayer. In chapter 4, um, the, pro- the building project, this uh, restoration of the walls of Jerusalem is halfway through. They're almost there. And the nations around get wind of this and they think, right, if we're going to attack Jerusalem, we've got to do it soon. We've got to do it quickly because if we don't, then before long, this, this city is going to be secure. And Nehemiah hears that the nations are plotting against them. This is, 
what it says in verse 8 of chapter 4. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. We prayed to our God. That can be read in two ways, that verse. It could be read that they prayed to God and then they went about setting up guards on the walls. Or it could be seen that actually they prayed to God and in doing so, they set up a protection around their city. But listen, what Nehemiah's response was, it wasn't, oh crumbs, these guys are, oh, what are we going to do guys? Let's form some sort of strategy here. These guys are looking like they might come and try and take us on. Let's get our weapons ready. No, it was, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's get together, friends. Let's pray. And sometimes we can find ourselves in conversations with people, maybe in, in groups of friends, and someone's just sharing some tough stuff that's going on in their life, and we can be like, hmm, that's really hard. Oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. That sounded very insincere and sarcastic, didn't it? We can do it in a much more sincere way than that. And it's a good thing to do that. It's a good thing to listen well. It's a good thing to really feel that pain that that person's going through. But sometimes we can just leave it there and say, okay, I'll be thinking about you. Or I'll be praying for you. Actually, it takes courage. And it takes having been in the secret place before God to just say, right, well, let's pray about it right now. Let's take the time to pray about this right now. Not, I'll pray for you and probably forget to do it. But let's do it right now. That's what Nehemiah did. He called together the people to pray. And then in chapter 9, we see it again. Still more opposition to what they're doing. And he and Ezra, who's like the priest, and Nehemiah's the governor, and they team up together. And they call the people to a quarter of a day of worship and prayer to call upon God together. This was a man who, who knew there was power when God's people came together as one voice to pray. And that's exactly how the early church grew. That's exactly how the early church operated. They knew there was power in prayer. They knew there was great power in prayer. They'd seen Jesus do it, and instinctively prayer became a key part of their life as a church. In chapter 1, we see they were just continuously in prayer. In chapter 2, we see they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, remembering what Jesus had done. They devoted themselves to prayer. This is who they were. They loved to pray because they'd seen it in Jesus' life. They had seen something of the spiritual reality that prayer makes a difference. And so they got together and they prayed regularly. And one of my favorite stories in the book of Acts is where the apostle James is arrested by Herod and Herod has him killed. He has him beheaded. And then he thinks, this is a good idea. The people seem to like this. So he then arrests the apostle Peter. And he thinks, if I can kill these guys off one by one, then maybe I can put an end to this uprising. Maybe I can put an end to this Christianity. And the people in the, the Jerusalem church, they get together and they go for it in prayer. Now, do you think they did that for James? I think they probably did. I think they probably prayed for James a lot. I think he was probably a much-loved church leader. And they, I, I well imagine they gathered together to pray for James. And then suddenly Peter's in prison, and it's looking like he's going to be next. Now, their disappointment in prayer 
doesn't lead them to think, well, it's, blow it, it's useless, it's worthless. No, they get together and they pray. They lay hold of God and they pray. And Peter's miraculously freed from prison. And how does he know what's happened? He knows that there's a prayer meeting going on for him. And he makes his way to the house where the prayer meeting's happening. And he's knocking on the door. And someone comes to the door. And they say, it's Peter. He's been freed. And, and listen, just to show you, this wasn't a, a church of that great faith. Okay? They're like, oh, it can't be Peter. It can't be Peter. It's probably his angel. Whatever that means. What on earth do they think about angel? I don't know. But they knew something of a spiritual reality that we don't really talk about much. They didn't even have the faith that Peter would necessarily be freed. And yet he knew that the reason he was freed was because of their prayers. Came straight to their prayer meeting. There they are in prayer. There's great power when God's people come together and pray. There's great power in it. As I said right at the beginning, the Apostle Paul, he knew this dynamic. Every time you see him just writing again and again to his churches, you've got to pray for me. Please pray for me. Your prayers are being effective. He begs them for prayer. Again, he inbounds. He says this. Paul asks, he covets, he pleads in an impassioned way for the help of God's saints through prayer. He knew that in the spiritual realm as elsewhere, in union there is strength. And prayer increased the volume of spiritual force until it became overwhelming and irresistible in its power. Paul understood, I need the prayers of many people to see the breakthrough in the cities and the nations that I'm going to. I need the prayers. I haven't got it in and of myself. He wasn't a, a great speaker. People would fall asleep in his sermons. And one guy fell asleep and fell out of a window and died. But thankfully, they managed to pray for him and he came back to life again. That would have been a bit awkward, wouldn't it? You wouldn't get many speaking invites after that, would you? He wasn't an amazing speaker. And yet, many, many people came to faith. Many people were healed. Churches planted. The poor served because of the prayers of many people. Because of the prayers of praying churches. And we need to be more and more growing in prayer if we're going to see God's kingdom advance in Ipswich and the surrounding towns and villages. If we're going to see God's kingdom advance in the nations. If we're going to see people surrendering, surrendering their lives to Jesus. Saying, okay, I'm all yours, Jesus. If we're, going to, if we're going to see that, then we must pray. We must give ourselves to prayer. We must pray for those that are serving God in reaching out to those who don't know him yet. We've got life groups going out into the streets and into the parks. We've got people who are really burdened in sharing their faith. We must pray. We must pray for them to be fruitful. We must pray for people like Sheila, who's right now out in the Middle East training shepherds and sharing her faith. Must pray for her. Must lift her up in prayer. Must pray for people like Morris, seeing uh, as he and Rachel going to, um, going to live in the Netherlands for an extended period in September. Must pray for them, that they will be very fruitful there. Must pray for them for the nations of Europe. As we pray, God is going to, he's going to do amazing things. He's going to do greater things than we have seen. I really believe that. I really believe that through prayer, as we gather together at the end of July, there's going to be things happening because we've called upon God together. Things that wouldn't otherwise have happened. 
in some mystery that I don't understand. God, who's sovereign, who's in charge of all things, he says through prayer, things are going to happen that otherwise would not happen. And so we must pray. But I want to pray for us that we get a hold of this. We get a hold of this. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, he gives some bad news. He says, you don't know how to pray. You don't know how to pray as you ought. We don't know how to do this. It's not something that just comes naturally to us. But he says, but the Holy Spirit, he comes to help you to pray with words and groans. He helps us. The Holy Spirit is our helper. Jesus said, I'm going to send another helper to you. The word is in the Greek, paraclete, one that that draws alongside, one that draws near. He's come to help us to pray. Maybe as we sing now, you might just invite God, the Holy Spirit, to come and fill you so that your, your prayer life will be transformed, that you'll know this power to pray, pray sometimes in, in, in your own language, pray sometimes in the gift of languages that the Spirit gives, sometimes just praying in and out of the Spirit, as it were, this powerful prayer. It's impossible to know a great touch from God and to not have your prayer life really deeply, profoundly affected. So maybe even as we sing, you just want to invite God to come and touch you afresh. He's here amongst us in this old factory building. (laughs) There's nothing special about it. The carpet's dodgy. (laughs) But God is here with us. He's here with us. Let's just enjoy him as we sing together. If you... I feel really burdened as we sang this morning. We sang about the blood of Jesus cleansing us. And I, I felt there were some here who, who almost, you almost remarked to yourself, well, it's, it's okay for them because they weren't really very bad people. Yeah, and they can sing of being cleansed because they never really had much to clean them up. If you, if you had that thought or a thought like it, then let me tell you, you couldn't be more wrong. Respectfully, you couldn't be more wrong. All of us here have gone astray. All of us here have made a mess of things. Some more visibly than others, but equally we've made a mess. We've made a mess of our lives. Turned our back on God. And Jesus Christ was sent so that you could be completely, completely cleansed completely forgiven completely restored you might think I yeah not me though not me you don't know what I've done God knows what you've done I've no idea God knows what you've done and he sent Jesus for you so whilst there's many here who are going to do business with God who they may have known for years some for months There's an opportunity right now as we sing for you to to do business with the God of the universe, to talk to him, maybe for the very first time, to say, God, I've made a mess, but I've heard this amazing news that I can be forgiven and clean, that I can be adopted. Just say to him, I want it. I take hold of it now. I take hold of it now. 
Father, God, help us, I pray. Grow us as a church in prayer. Let us see mighty things happening as we pray to you. Lord God, would you transform us? Make us a mighty praying army. Lord God, we want to see your kingdom come. We want to see your will be done. Make us a mighty praying people. I pray that right across this room, you take each one of us on a prayer adventure with you. Help us to see those times of fervent prayer. Help us to know those bullet prayers, just sending up a cry for help. Help us to enjoy times of together prayer. Lord God, take us forward, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.